0: Hi, I'm Carl Edmund.
1: Hi, my name is Novak Djokovic. Hi, I'm Nick Kyrgios. Hi, this is Rafa Nadal. Hi, this is Thomas Berdy. Hi, this is Roger Federer, and you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio.
0: and welcome to Melbourne Park Sunday the 21st of January and we're now just a handful of matches away from completing week one of the first Grand Slam of the year. My name is Yiji Sam and I'm speaking to you from the Tennis HQ, otherwise known as the Media Centre. To be more precise, it's the balcony on the third floor. Noises to listen out for, get annoyed by, the coffee machine. And as it is the end of week one, a lot of people are drinking coffee. You will hear trains. You'll actually hear quite a lot of trains. A bit of a wind is brewing behind us, and we've got people milling around. So all sorts, but it gives you a feel for where we're at, and that is Melbourne Park. We can also look out to Garden Square, the centrepiece here, and the Rod Laver and Margaret Court arenas. And on its way, we're looking back on a week that had a bit of everything, including almost unplayable temperatures, and ahead to the final few days. So stay with us. It's good to have your company. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. So there it is. Week one is almost done. Things will start to quieten down soon. The weather has definitely calmed down a little bit and I'm very happy to be in the company of two members of the ATP Tennis Radio team, Simon Cambers and Nick McCarville. Nick, How have things been going? How have the first six and a bit days gone?
2: I mean, I'm just happy that I survived those two days of 40 degrees Celsius, 100 degrees (laughs) Fahrenheit. I made it through. Actually, I just hid away in the media center. Um, It's been great. A lovely tournament. You know, a lot of upsets, especially when we look at the men's side. Some names have come through. And I I like the mix because we have our top stars. We have some of the big guys. Of course, we're missing a couple as well. but We've got some new faces, some weird, strange things have happened on court, and I like that.
0: (laughs) It's always good when weird strange things happen Simon. Now you are, am I right in thinking you're working for a number of outlets and if so is there one specific player you're keeping an eye on or just you just follow the story?
3: No I'm following <laughs> lots of stories for lots of different places and it's, it's a bit of a head twister sometimes it's hard to keep up with who you're writing for and what you're doing but I've been writing quite a lot about Nick Kyrgios who I know that uh, we'll cover at some stage but you know this is Australia's biggest hope and it's been interesting to see his you know, the way he's maturing and the way he's coming on. And as Nick said, I, I, I too, I think the uh, the shocks have been good. Love seeing the Korean Chung come through. I think he's a great player. How did he get to be built like a tank at that age? This is what I want to know. Amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that's a question Nick wants to ask as well, <laughs> because they were the thumbs up when you said that. And Nick, you, slightly different, you're working from Tennis Australia, so... I don't know, what does your remake cover here?
2: No, I, I actually, we were sitting down for this and I thought gosh, I actually know exactly what's going on in this tournament because a lot of times I feel like as media we just get lost in the stories we're following and which is great in a lot of ways but I've been doing news reading and then the evening show for Tennis Australia that's live streamed on AustralianOpen.com and so I actually feel like I'm on top of the <laughs> tennis which is a, a great feeling a surprising feeling but a good feeling
0: So can you tell us why Chung is built like a tank? Well I was just thinking that
2: too and he beat, I mean what a <laughs> (laughs) great win for him over sasha's will talk more about that 6-0 in the fifth set i think sasha went away a little bit but young chung is obviously growing into himself and i think he's been hitting the gym but gosh he looked he looked pretty good
0: and some good atp tennis radio news you're going to be on the ground reporting for us later this year
2: yeah in madrid and i've never been to madrid i've never been to that tournament i hear wonderful things about it and i'm i'm pretty excited what's the main court called Kaya Magica. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for that.
0: you, you got a bit of time to work on <laughs> I've it. I've got to do it's my <laughs> research,
2: obviously.
0: Now, who would like to start on Roger Federer? Defending champion, three rounds, nine sets, one. Let's start with marks out of ten so far, Simon Cambers for Roger Federer.
3: Pretty high, eight, eight and a half I'd go for. I don't think he played that well last night against Richard Gasquet, but he's been good and, and he looks sharp. He looks like he's trained hard in the off-season season He's confident, obviously, after last year. Who wouldn't be, the way he played? I think he is very cool and very assured and thinks that the way the draw is, there's no Murray to worry about. Djokovic is a croc walking around. He's still in, but he's, you know, who knows? He just, he's moaning all the way through his matches. He's not happy, <laughs> but he can turn it on. But Federer, I think, is very confident. He is very happy. Um, yeah, all good so far and pretty good draw, you've got to say.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I, I think that Roger, it's it's weird to see him come in. Last year, we didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what to expect. And Jim Courier asked him last night on court, how is it having won your first three matches? Last year, there was a stage where he broke through against Thomas Burditch, and we thought, oh, wow, he could actually make a run here. And then we look at the 2017 that he had. I think Roger is almost sort of enjoying the process as much as we are because he doesn't really know still what he's going to produce here. Um, and he does, I mean, Maybe Burdic in the quarterfinals. You look at perhaps Djokovic in the semifinals or Dominic Thiem. It's, it's just like he doesn't necessarily have those hurdles to jump over like the massive draw that he had a year ago here.
3: Interesting listening to Federer talking about Marton Fuksovic, who has also done really well here and is in his path because Federer said that Fuksovic came to, tra- uh, to practice with him in Switzerland last year. And that got me thinking that Federer is really canny when it comes to this. He gets these young players who may or may not be about to break through.
0: He thought he might face Fuksovic in the round of 16. So he knows
3: what to expect, but also (laughs) so that they know that Federer knows who they are and therefore the expectations are high. And also, you know, the awe factor that, that Federer has against these players just will linger a little bit longer until they get further into the tour. So I think he's clever and it'll help him. And I just think that, uh, yeah, the draw is very good and he is uh, looking good.
0: Something that might go down as the weirdest moment was Will Ferrell. Now, he's a big tennis fan. He came here specifically to watch the tennis. He came for sort of three or four days in the seat. And I remember I, we'd done the Federal match. So I, w- I was looking down and I suddenly looked up and there was, was it Will Ferrell in the form of Ron Burgundy from Anchorman? I've never seen John McEnroe so quiet in my life. He was meant to be doing the encore. And then suddenly he's asking Will Ferrell's asking which photo but like wombat meat and vampires and
2: things <laughs> yeah and why? how does he react when people say come on Roger which was one of my favourite <laughs> questions but you know my favourite thing I think most people listening right now will have seen that interview Roger was visibly a little bit uncomfortable. He Putting his hand in his pocket, straightening his collar. It was really fun to watch Roger on his own stage be a little bit like, uh, you, you take centre stage. I'm going to just stand over here. Didn't quite know what to do, but it was a great moment overall on, the, <laughs> on court.
0: So, Simon, you gave Federer an 8.5 out of 10, so Rafa Nadal gets for his matches.
2: Nine.
3: I think he's just been a bit cleaner. He's looked. No one's re- the funny thing about all this. No one's really talking about Nadal, not that much because of Federer. His return. So? Well, beca- I think because of Federer's return as champion and the expectations being even higher, as Nick was saying, I think f- f- unbelievably Nadal is sort of creeping under the radar. That bigger matches, Federer's been playing at night in the in the sort of prime time slot, and and Nadal has just been doing his business and just. I think maybe I'll give him slight edge in terms of the way he's been playing.
2: Yeah, no, I'd, ha- I'd have to agree. I mean, I think he's looked very, very good, very assured. And this was a Rafa that was coming in the tournament. We didn't know what to expect. He's coming in having pulled out of the World Tour finals in London. He didn't have a warm-up event. That's the first time he hasn't played an event before the Australian Open. And he, Rafa was saying... I don't know what to expect for myself he he played a pop-up exhibition against Dominic Team on the grounds of the AO and everyone's watching it on their screens before the tournament being like wait what's going on why <laughs> why is there an official and a chair umpire but Rafa's looked good I, I would agree with Simon he's just looked a touch cleaner and that's actually surprising to say because of we, the mystery around especially his knees coming in
0: and sleeveless or not sleeveless thumbs up thumbs down Thide, uh, sideways thumb. Sideways, sideways thumb. thumb.
3: If you've got arms like Rafa, it's thumbs up, isn't it?
0: Because... But I,
3: I heard a very interesting uh, idea as to why he may have done it. The, the umpires are being a little bit stricter about the time between points. It's 25 seconds now, but they're being a bit stricter. Take out the sleeves, takes out two of his idiosyncrasies before it starts. That is Fascinating fantastic. insight. It. It's not mine, unfortunately. I have to give it to Bjana Babusic on AO Radio, but... Very interesting idea.
0: S- didn't that never cross my mind?
2: I just I, I appreciate a, a good gun show, but it's a <laughs> lot of ar- it's a lot of Rafa <laughs> armpit. It really is. It really is.
0: Andy you didn't Murray. expect me to say that, did no, you, I didn't expect to say that. <laughs> and I hope it stays in the final version of the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Nick McCarvel and Simon Cambers with me. Andy Murray is bored. Quote, his mother, Judy Murray. He had the keyhole surgery on the hip. He actually flew back a couple of days ago to the UK. And Judy said, look, he's bored. That's why he's on Twitter. He did a hashtag, Ask Andy, because he couldn't sleep. One of the questions was, someone said, say something about Nadal. And he said sleeveless is better or something like that but it's really nice Simon that we're getting this little insight into how he is he talked about his rehab, he was talking fantasy food, he talked everything
3: Yeah, he is clearly bored he's (laughs) he's, he's got a bit of jet lag as well so he must have not slept that well on the flight for once and uh, it's great because Andy Murray's not the uh, world's most prolific user of Twitter and it, you don't hear from him that much but then he got the fans engaged some great questions you know it was finished the senti- sentence Vegemite is and he said rancid <laughs> That's I <great. laughs> have to agree with that have even though agree. I like Marmite <laughs> um, but uh, yeah he's I think he's the the interesting thing is that he he's he's talking about how positive he is and he seems quite optimistic and everyone who's been around him since the operation is saying that he seems in a good mood he said and the that rehab
0: is, a- is going better than expected yeah
3: so he, he must be just delighted not to be in pain I should think that's the start and then from now on it's just about working hard to get back but it's great to Him and he has got a good sense of humor, and it's good that he shows that.
0: He also said that he would definitely go into coaching at the end of his career, which, I mean, lucky person who he decides to coach. And we spoke to Leon Smith, Great Britain's Davis Cup Cab, and he said that he would be, and Mark Woodford, a fantastic coach.
2: Yeah, no, I I think a lot of people screen grab that yes from Andy Murray, would you coach in the future? The biggest thing to me out of his, and and I love seeing Andy back on social, because there was a while there where he wasn't doing anything on his social media platforms, but he basically said, listen, the drive right now in in his heart and in his belly is more than it has ever been in his life. And there's a lot of question marks, especially for the British media, about what is the future of Andy Murray? But I feel like this... Random Twitter Q&A has has shown us that he is determined to come back and play tennis.
0: My favorite tweet from when he was out here and Judy was having breakfast and lunch with him again. She said, it's really nice to have kind of normal time with my son when he's not training. She'd say, I'm coming for breakfast. And he'd send a little gif saying, oh, no, she's coming. And they went out for lunch. And there was a beautiful picture of the lunch they had. It looked very nice. And she said, me, what a lovely lunch. Andy, lunch with you in the heat is like a five-setter. You've just got to find a way to get through it.
3: (laughs) Ian and Judy are having a great little uh, to and fro <laughs> on Twitter, aren't they? And she, she wasn't very happy yesterday when he said, uh, you know, someone said, is your mum annoying you more than, no- uh, 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 same as always? And he said, no, more than normal, more than normal. <laughs> well, they are spending a lot of time together, so that, that would happen. But, yeah, I think Nick is absolutely right. He's positive. He's so desperate to come back. He, he is really keen. And although hip injuries and hip replacement, or hip surgery, is very hard to recover from, if anyone's going to give it a go, it's going to be him. He's going to work incredibly hard, so... Fingers crossed.
0: So let's stick with the players who are coming back or have tried to come back. Stan Wawrinka is probably in the middle of those two. He said he only decided to play after his final practice session here. Came through his first round match, but the second round match against Tennis Sangren, at times it was difficult to watch.
3: It was painful. I mean, we know how much of an ox Stan Wawrinka is, and he's clearly got quite a high pain threshold because he was in a lot of pain during that match. But he said afterwards, I mean, I was surprised to hear him say that he actually was really pleased with where he's at. He's way ahead of schedule. Didn't expect to be playing at this stage. His actual ball striking is, is the same as ever. It's just his movement. And it's the sort of thing if, he, if, he, if the surgery's gone well. And it looked like it was quite a big knee operation. That's the thing. And the, the scar, scar on is huge. His knee. So, I mean, that's going to be a tough one. But he's, he's missed because I love watching Stan play. He, he is so dynamic and so great to watch. We, we miss him.
0: One of my favorite quotes from the gentleman who beat him, Tennis Sanger, and they went, on to back up, that when he was in the press conference, he gets so fed up of explaining his name, Tennis. That when he orders a coffee and we can hear the machine in the background, he says it's for Dave.
2: <laughs> Fair enough, right? I mean, if your name is Tennis and everyone's giving you a double, triple take of, a, come on, dude, your name's actually Tennis. <laughs> just go by Dave. I love, I love that. And how cool? I mean for for us Americans literally we all thought the tennis sandgren was going to be the last man standing of course at the Australian of open is. yeah we knew of that he did. it is one of these cool stories that <laughs> you know you just never know what you're going to get at a major and i think that's why we get so excited about the two weeks of tennis he hadn't won a grand slam match before coming into this tournament uh, ranked number 97th in the world really sort of a a challenger circuit player and, you know, these guys in the challenger circuit, they get the opportunity to play up and have the window of opportunity. He's won a couple of legitimate matches, including beating Sam Wawrinka. So, hey, sticking around, playing more tennis. So
0: as we speak up above the trains, <laughs> there's all sorts of things going on over the train tracks. And as you mentioned, you brought this up. I wasn't going to bring it up until later. What on earth happened to the American men?
2: Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, Jack Sock was... Uh, Jack Sock was a, a lot of question marks around that first round loss to Yuichi uh, Sagita. Um, John Isner, I think, was just outplayed by Matt Ebden. Um, Martan Fukovic beat Sam Querrey. You have Steve Johnson, who's who's slumping right now. Dennis Kudla had a great effort against Dominic Thiem, gets up two sets to love. It, it, sometimes it just shakes out that way. With, with the American women last year at the U.S. Open, we had all four of the semifinalists. This Grand Slam, who knows? I, I, you know, we had 31 players to start, and we get two into the second week. Tennis, Sandgren, and Madison Keys.
0: Wow, right, okay. <laughs> Ouch. I think maybe enough said on that. <laughs> Novak Djokovic, the last of this cluster of players who's making a comeback. He's wearing a sort of flesh-coloured sleeve on the elbows. Some people might not even realise he's actually wearing it. So start to start with, what's our, what are our marks out of 10 for Novak Djokovic?
3: Well, he's here, and he's back, and he's fit, and he's not seemingly not in pain, so he's got to be fairly high. He must be pleased with himself. I think, I, I think he's been quite scratchy. I think he's probably about a 7. Um, it depends what his expectations were. which is probably fairly low. I mean, he knows how good he is, obviously, and he's still incredibly difficult to beat. What's been really interesting for me is that his serve, which when he showed up at Kuyong the week before here, he had this abbreviated service motion, very abbreviated. It's quite strange to look at, obviously. You know, it's a big change as he tries to protect that elbow. As the matches have gone on, he's played three now. As those matches have gone on, it's creeping back. The muscle memory is, is defeating him and he's going back towards his old one. Now, that's a bit of a concern for me because although he's obviously used to that, that's what caused the pain in the first place. That's where the pain came from. He's got to be a little bit careful. I don't think he's overly happy because he has been moaning you know, he looks a bit uncomfortable and moaning through his because matches. because
0: he's been out on Margaret Court Arena, which is a, a fabulous arena. But he's the six-time. Cha- I know he's the 14th seed, but he's the six-time champion.
3: Yeah, maybe. Maybe he, he deserves to be back on Rod Laver. That's true. Maybe he does feel a little bit put upon. But um, I don't know. I think it's just that, as you return from inju- from an injury, a serious absence as he had, he is picking up little niggles. He had a little bit of problem with his sort of left hip glutes yesterday. And I think maybe the issue with him is that he's just not feeling 100% and he can't really go flat out yet. But he remains incredibly difficult to beat. That's the thing.
0: That's the thing, Nick. He remains a very dangerous player in this draw
2: the mystery of Novak and we didn't know I mean I was even saying maybe Donald Young could beat him in the first round he killed Donald Young I mean just totally overwhelmed him but he hasn't really had that much trouble loses that first set against Gail Alphys that was that was an enigma in and of itself that match in the 40 degree heat but um, that was
0: difficult to watch at times
2: it was No, that that match was strange overall. I'm still wondering why those guys didn't try to shorten the points more because it was so hot, but that's another conversation in and of itself. But then we bring in Young Chung, who he's got in the fourth round, and I think is really, to me, Young Chung is going to give him the first true test of where Djokovic is. How's the serve? How's the elbow? How's the body? Because as Simon said, those niggles come up, and that kind of stuff, as we've seen, can bother Novak a little bit in the past at these tournaments, and maybe it'll start to creep in when he faces these more sort of established players.
0: You're listening to the ATB Tennis Radio podcast just to give us something else to battle. The music <laughs> has started in the hospitality area. Lovely music in the hospitality area. Trains going past, coffee being made, a little bit of wind every now and then, people talking in Garden Square. I think there's a drill that's just started. <laughs> but you know what? We're just going to continue. <laughs> At the very top, we were talking about Young Chung and his build, and he's like a wall. We have to now reflect on Sasha Zverev. I mean, last year, it was a phenomenal year outside of the Grand Slams. It was all about what do you do in the Grand Slams. And Simon, what does he do? He won four points in that final set against Chung.
3: Yeah, it was an unbelievable capitulation, really, in the final set. I did a lot of commentary on that match. And it was, he was in charge. He really, as he said afterwards, he probably should have won it in four sets. He, had, he was sort of up in the tiebreak in the second set, maybe could have closed it out then, but Chung came up with five great points to win it. And I think... I think Zverev is just feeling the pressure because when he gets to a slam, and it's going to happen all the time until he breaks this rut, everyone is asking why can't he do it in slams? He'll probably go and win you know, the next couple of tournaments he plays. He's, he's perfectly happy, confident in the best of three format in the normal weeks. But for some reason, he's putting a lot of pressure on himself because he is the kind of guy that believes he's going to be number one in the world. You know, A lot of people have been talking about that for a long time. He believes it too. And it's not just hype. He is a great player, but there's a lot of pressure and he's putting too much pressure on himself and it was really interesting hearing Roger Federer last night maybe Nick will talk about this in a minute but uh, Federer reached out to, to uh, Sverev just after put his hand on his shoulder and just said look don't worry about it I was 22 before I got to it. well no in fact it was 2003 before Federer got to his first quarter final and suddenly broke it and look what's happened to him since now it's asking a lot to say that Zverev's going to win 19 slams, but he is a potential Grand Slam champion. And we do get ahead of ourselves very quickly. He's a 20-year-old. He's, he's been very successful young, but as yet, for some reason, he let things get to him yesterday. Well,
0: it's interesting. I was watching that match with Jill Kravis and Mark Woodford, and the two observations, the one from Jill was he got tight. He actually got tight. The forehand started drifting, then the backhand let him down. Mark Woodford said... He's not going to do it if he keeps retreating. He's Instead of coming forward and being aggressive, and you saw the way Chung was playing, Zverev was going further and further back, and the errors kept coming, and then mentally he gets... I mean, he's, the racket smash was impressive, but it just showed kind of where he was at in that fifth set.
2: Well, and that's why I think it's so important now that he has Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner, because he's a guy that's going to be able to give that Federer-like advice to say, listen, we've got time, because as Simon was making his point, in my head I was saying, well, when is it going to happen? Because we have been talking about Zverev now for a couple years, and this next-gen, and he's world number four, and big expectations, especially at the U.S. Open. He comes in winning Montreal. He felt unbeatable last summer, and then loses in the second round to Borna Chorich. Here he loses to Young Chung, who is part of that next-gen generation. And to me, it feels like, okay, we... When is this moment going to happen for him? But that's why I go back to the importance of Ferrero in his camp, have the patience, and also the importance of Misha and the family. And I think he's got good voices around him, but now he's got to settle in and have those experiences of breaking the racket, winning four points in a fifth set, and actually being able to do it himself, hopefully sooner than later.
3: I think in a a perverse way, it actually might help him because it, it'll settle him down a bit and remind him that he is not yet this world beater that people talk, to, talk him up to be. Yes, he won five titles last year, but you go back to last year, he lost to Nadal in the Australian Open, played a great match, lost to Nadal playing very well. He lost to Fernando Vadasco, who can be on fire as he was at the French Open. US Open one was the one that really hurt because he came in, as Nick said, feeling really good and played badly. And yesterday will also hurt, but it, it enables him to go back to the drawing board, talk to the right people, get himself set and I think it's interesting you said Gigi about coming forward and shortening the points he's not a very good volleyer
2: yet to me we talk about all of these these areas of improvement it's because we can see the potential it's because we see the athlete and the mind and the body and all of the tools there because we wouldn't be able to say he can do xyz if we didn't think that he had the ability to do that so to me that's why he does have sort of that bright future of okay it's just a matter of time or a matter of situation or development or coaching or whatever it is for him to make it happen
0: Juan Martín del Potra is no more. He lost Thomas Burdick. Another early casualty was David Goffin who went out to Julien Benneteau. I'm still dealing with that because I'm a big fan of David Goffin. But it feels like the players who... Sean at the end of last year, Sox had a shocking start to the year, Goffin went out early, and Dimitrov hasn't quite hit his stride. Yeah,
2: the momentum from 2017 hasn't necessarily carried over. I was really surprised by Goffin, he looked so good to me coming in. I felt like the confidence was there from last year, and I felt like after that injury at the French Open, he came back and, and almost needed that time away, just for himself and his tennis development. And Did you know, the heat
0: get to him? I guess uh, yeah, the
2: body, there was definitely a little bit of trouble with the body. And Benito, I think, just played some lights-out tennis.
0: And it's his last year on tour. Jimmy I Beneteau. thought
2: Benito had quit. I thought he'd already retired. No, this is
0: his, he, this is the I seriously one. did. I, when
3: when I saw him beating David Goffin, I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> For a very impressive performance. Goffin definitely didn't play his best. But I think what, what is noticeable, and Nick, you talk about the players who did well at the end of last year, Jack Sock, etc. over the last few years... and. When I, th- when I think about this in my head, it makes me question my Rafael Nadal pick <laughs> to win the title. But it has been very, very difficult for players, even the very top players, to back up an amazing year with another one. Because the effort they put in, look at what happened to Andy Murray. You know, He killed himself almost, got so injured that he, he's had to have that operation. He couldn't do it. Novak Djokovic did it once, but then you know sort of fell off. Roger Federer had a great year, couldn't do it. Nadal the same. So it's very hard because the effort, that toil of the, the whole year... The effort of travelling, the effort that you have to put in winning. when you're winning so many matches, it's exhausting.
0: Now, I mentioned that we're speaking to you on Sunday. We are speaking to you before Gregor Dimitrov against Nick Kyrgios because that is headlining the night session. But I do want to speak about both players. Nick, have... Have you seen a different Nick Kyrgios this past six or seven days?
2: Yeah, no, it's felt like that even since Brisbane. I mean, he opens the year winning in Brisbane, and I think a lot of people are a little bit confused because it was a subdued week from Nick. He said he wasn't feeling 100%, but it's almost a Nick 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever version we're on on Kyrgios. He feels as though he's trying to mature into this person and player that I think we all think he can be, or he thinks he can be, but it's so fascinating being here in Australia because he gets, you guys, he gets so much attention, everything, Channel 7, every morning, it's all about Nick Kyrgios, it's all about the AO and what he's going to do, and he's the man. I thought, to me, that win over Sangha was, first off, an amazing tennis match. And then the way that he handled those situations, he was down 5-2 in that fourth set tie-break, comes back, wins the last five points of the match. That was a moment for him in his career. And, but to me, I think that's going to help catapult him forward overall. And that's a very good moment for, for him to have here in Australia.
3: I've, I've been impressed. I, I was lucky enough to interview Kyrgios on the eve of the tournament and was uh, came out of there thinking oh my god you know, what's happened to him in the last couple of months and it, yeah you can talk a good game and then it suddenly unravels on court but he's been he's matched it he said he wants to be a role model for kids he loves working with children he, and he's enjoying being almost a mentor to the young Australians coming through Alex Diminor and Popirin, who won the French Open Juniors and and having his uh, girlfriend, Alia Tomljanovic back on tour has been a very good influence to him. She's the strong one in those two. She is keeping him level-headed. Nick's absolutely right. Everyone's got an opinion about Nick Kyrgios. But the great thing so far is that, under pressure, he has been producing his best. He, is, you know, he sits down at change events. He mutters, he swears, he's chatting to himself, keeping himself going. It is Nick Kyrgios. I don't think you're ever going to change that. But in the important points, he was focused. And when he plays good players, he's He's focused. When he plays those that kind of match he tends to play his best.
2: And also one more thing I wanna add is that we all, we think we've seen everything, even with Nick Kyrgios, etcetera on a tennis court. A helicopter <laughs> and a crazy fan videotaping himself screaming courtside in his second round match against Victor Troisky on high sense he handled that situation very well which actually I was really impressed by because I think in the past he could have let those two situations really bother him
3: and and he he also said that uh, before the tournament he said that he's much better at staying off social media now he said even last year I would have gone out every night during the tournament had a laugh he said now I'm just I have room service or I go out with my girlfriend with my family and I'm trying to stay away yeah I'll answer one or two things but nothing big deal no big deal he's just being much more sensible he's doing the right things
0: he also handled the appearance of of Hollywood actor, Hollywood legend Will Smith. So we've had Will Ferrell for Roger Federer. Will Smith, who is, I believe, filming in Australia, so he came along. And there was a the question from Jim Courier after the match who said, Someone asked you who would play you in a film, and it was obviously Will Smith. And But then I didn't realise at one point that Nick was actually speaking. To Will Smith during the match. Can you imagine
3: Roger <laughs> Federer doing that or Rafael Nadal? <laughs> Absolutely not. It's amazing, yeah. So I was having a chat with him as a change of ends. Hi Will, you know how's it going? Yeah, it's bizarre, but I mean it, these things. Nick, Nick Kyrgios is such a sort of everything. There's so much going on around him and around his head that I think he needs. He's the kind of person who needs to talk to the umpire all the time. He needs to yes. talk to himself. He needs oh, to yeah. keep moving. If he sat down quiet, I, I could. When the music came on for Will Smith and you know one of his films, you could see Kyrgios looking up, going, mm, "God, that's Will Smith. I need to be." Uh, I need to be cool here. Uh, and for, some, for once, he looked a bit nervy, and it was it was—it was nice to see it.
0: it. It was really nice to see Will Smith, A, getting into the match, and then Nick Curios afterwards seemed almost shy when sort of asked about Will Smith being there.
2: Yeah, no, uh, and I like that he took the moment and said, wait, 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 Jim Curios, give me, give me the microphone. I want to talk to Will, telling him that he watches Focus, one of his movies, all the time. And two, that Will Smith, they met in the corridor after, a little selfie, little hangout, and Will Smith said, dude, I never watched tennis, but I loved watching you tonight, which I thought was pretty cool because Will Smith isn't someone we see at the U.S. Open a lot. I haven't seen him at a tennis tournament ever. And so for him to sit courtside, literally, and have a front row to Kyrios, I think we have a converted fan in Will Smith.
0: Absolutely, maybe he will appear <laughs> again. Gregor Dimitrov, we've spoken about a bit throughout the show in terms of form and coming through and getting to... Look, if he can just scrap his way to week two, it's a whole different ball game when we get there.
3: Yeah, things have changed for Grigor. I think. you know it was, It's it was here last year that it started, really. He'd, he'd been working hard for a few months, but he, played, he got to the semi-finals, played probably the best match he'd ever played in a slam, still didn't beat Rafael Nadal, but he watched it back a couple of days later and he said to himself, oh, actually, I didn't do anything wrong. For once, I didn't make the mistakes. I played well. And look what it did for them the rest of the year. He won his first Masters 1,000. He went on to win the ATP Finals. The confidence that he now has means that these matches that he's struggling in early on. The match the second round match when he served fifteen double faults the other day. I mean it, the glare that day in the sun in the sky, it was so difficult to serve. I actually played tried to play tennis in the morning <laughs> and I could barely see the ball at all. It was ridiculous. And it was also forty degrees, but it was pathetic. But he, he was struggling, so he's clearly not in the rhythm, but he won that match, and that's a match he wouldn't have won maybe a year and a half ago and things have changed for him. His confidence is up. Fascinating.
0: You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Now to a young man. He's going to take a lot away from his time in Australia. Britt Kyle Edmund, whose run began with a defeat of 11th seed Kevin Anderson. And it seems that Edmund's thriving under, well, it's a relatively new coaching relationship with the Swede Freddie Rosengren.
1: You can't go for, for the result when you start. It's more like the chemistry between the player and the coach is very, very important and... Uh, I mean, I am like I am, I I, I, uh, I try to do my best every day, and he can like it or not like it, like, you know, I've been around for so many years, and it's it's, it's tough to change your, how do you say, the way of working, I mean, maybe I'm I'm too old for this, I don't know, you know, the young generation, maybe I'm too hard or whatever, you never know, so I, I go in there being myself completely and uh, if he likes it uh, i'm still there or if he doesn't like it uh, i'm out of here you know this is not a big big deal actually so i try to be myself uh, try to inform him about my experience i i i of course always compare to the players i have been coaching reaching top 10 and, and uh, how much they have been working, what they did uh, off-court and, and uh, travelling days, uh, after matches, if they practice more after matches, the, all these things I have to try to, to, to give to Kyle and he can do whatever he wants with the information actually, if he, if he likes it or not. I mean this is up to him. What is your philosophy? to coaching? First of all, I believe in hard work. This is, uh, you have to be passionate, you know, completely. I mean, it has co- to come from your own heart. This is like, I have ho- high goals, always, since I started being a coach. I, I was setting goals, like, uh, I have to, you know, my first player was Jonas Bjorkman, we met when he was 18, he was absolutely nothing back home and we worked so hard and that was my way out to the tour. So I had unbelievable high ambitions with my work you know setting goals this and and uh, you can't expect a player having passion if you don't having passion by yourself you know mm-hmm. so so that uh, yeah sometimes maybe my, my passion is too high I don't know because it's my family maybe suffer a little bit sometimes but <laughs> but that was it, I mean to be a coach is it's about the game love of the game I, I love to go up every morning and, and try to improve something and I said to Kyle the other day you, you will believe it or not but either, even if you win 1-1 one and one, I will find something to improve and you maybe don't like it you maybe think I'm crazy I forgot for I won 1-1 one and one, and you're not happy but, but he has to understand of course I'm happy but I want more I want to achieve something you know we, we're working together to, to achieve something and uh, I think we, we're going to be a, a good team. We have more people around us. Uh, Mark Hiltz from, from England, from the LTA. will work with, with Kyle as well and Ian Prangley, the physio, work together. So we are, we are a good team and I'm very happy to be a part of a team. This is actually the first time.
3: It sounds to me
1: like Kyle Edmund has a lot of very hard work ahead of him with you. It, it's up to him, actually. It's up to him if we're going to work hard or not. I mean, it, it makes no sense to... I mean, of course you push and you, you, you say you, you need to do more here or this and this. Of course you do that, but it has to come from him. His desires, how much he wants to put in, in the details of working with his serve, with his return. How many hours do I want to spend on court to, to become a better player? So, so of course, we're going to work hard. I mean, he is a hard worker. He's already a hard worker, so so, uh, I'm not afraid of of that. Uh, And and, and not all the players need to... It's not about working harder, always. It can be other things. It can be watching more tennis, learn from your your Mm -hmm. opponents. It can be uh, watch yourself playing now you can play you can see yourself the replays I mean spending hours be be very engaged to what you are doing mm-hmm. I mean it can be that instead of saying we have to work more hours on practice court maybe we have to work more hours watching him play together uh, you know what I mean having more fun go do do stuff off court can be can be these these things so I think he's spending enough hours working working hard when he's practicing on and off court. For me, he's a hard worker. Then I have to find out if he needs to work even harder or we have to change other stuff.
0: Now, if you want to hear the whole of that interview, make sure you're listening, well, 24-7 to the ATP Tennis Radio Channel. Just don't listen to anything else. Available on TuneIn, which contains live commentary from the Australian Open, courtesy of AO Radio, as well as the best interviews and features from around the tour. Simon Cambers, Kyle Edmund, a, you, a young man you have followed, you know well. Freddie Rosenghain, I don't know Mark Hilton's also in there, but his wife's about to give birth. But Freddie Rosingen, I think he's a fascinating character. He
3: is fascinating. I, it's really, it's a really, for, for me, it's a really good move that Kyle Edmund made to, to bring him in because it's not it's quite left field I don't think many people had heard of Freddie even though he'd worked with some big players in the past with Robin Soderling, et etc but um, what's happened with Kyle is that Kyle now starts to believe in his own ability he's always had a huge forehand a big serve but he's doing the right things at the right time the win against Kevin Anderson was a real real step forward a breakthrough moment for him and he coped well with the heat the other day it's it's really interesting to see where he goes from here because he's almost top 40 as a result of what he's done so far people are now starting to talk about top 20 what's really good for me is that in the absence of Andy Murray and suddenly the travelling British press are looking at Kyle Edmund as potentially do, please do something so we can stay for a couple of days in, Australia in the winter and it's really sunny and he's doing it and he's, he's standing up to the, to the pressure which is really really impressive
0: You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast coming to you from the third floor of Tennis HQ in Melbourne Park and it, and it wouldn't be right that we wrapped up a podcast in Australia and not hear from a true Aussie legend so we take you back to Adelaide 1998 and a breakthrough moment for Leighton Hewitt.
4: You sometimes look back and think, well, what would have happened if I lost? You know, in the second round, it would have been a great effort to win a match, but you know, whether I would have had that kickstart to my career or not, you really don't know. Yeah, I had to play Stoltz in the final. Uh, once again, I, I knew him through being an Orange Boy a couple of times at Davis Cup ties. Um, he was such a nice guy, a level-headed guy. Walking out there, I really just didn't want to embarrass myself more than anything. Uh, I wanted to put up a competitive match. For me, it was more about again not going out there and getting killed. A lot of my friends and family were there all week, really, sort of just riding this wave more than anything. You know, from qualifying the year before at the Australian Open as a 15-year-old, I guess Australia probably had heard of me, but internationally wise, after beating the likes of Agassi, I guess that's when you get thrown into a lot bigger spotlight. Oh, great! Sensational tennis here. And I think it takes a good eight months to a year to establish yourself. Players start working out your game style and, and ways of beating you. And sometimes you do go slightly backwards to make bigger inroads forwards. I'm well, not sure we you had to play. I was very lucky to end up winning 7-6 in the third set. Another nail-biting tie-break to finish the tournament.
3: He's done it in the most dramatic
4: of fashions. At the end you had to pinch yourself. You know, players go through so much of their career wondering if they're ever going to be able to hold up an ATP tour title. And uh, for me to do it, my first ATP event, main draw, was uh, amazing, especially in my backyard in Adelaide.
0: So the question has to be, is he ever going to actually officially completely retire?
3: Well no. Because uh, I, I looked into this when, he, when, he did, when it was announced he was going to play doubles with Sam Groth, who is retiring. And I, thought, I thought, oh, I wonder if he's signed up to the drug testing rule where you have to give six months notice if you've retired. And it turns out he never officially retired. So... You don't have to do that because he's already on that list. He could be tested at any time. So Leighton Hewitt is never going to retire because somebody every now and again will need a doubles player to play.
0: Well, I'm just thinking, it was a little bit like Venus and Harrison last year. They were just going to play the French together. Then then Ryan Harrison was going to focus on singles. They win the French. Suddenly, they're going to London and they keep playing. So let's just say Sam Groth and Leighton Hewitt win the Australian Open doubles title. (laughs) Do they think, and Sam Groth, as you said, is retiring, we could make it to London?
3: You bet they think that. Of course they do. I mean, I, I, was the other night when they were winning that match against uh, Rocher and Takao, amazing win. That the there were two other big matches on at the time. What on Radulov and the noise coming from? I was on Margaret Court watching Djokovic, and the biggest noise was coming from Hewitt. And look how well he played. He's been he's Davis Cup captain. He's been around those guys. He's been practicing hard. He doesn't have to play singles anymore, so his body's not shot. He looks
2: like he's loving it.
0: And he does so much for Australian tennis. I mean, the guy is a legend in these parts.
2: I just wish he had more intensity out there. That's what
0: he's really <laughs> he's lacking is the intensity.
2: <laughs> I mean, my God, what he brings. We talk about Andy Murray and his passion to be back on the tennis court. Leighton Hewitt has that but wears it all on all over his body, not just his sleeve. And it is cool. Hey, listen, perhaps they could keep playing. But I, I like that Leighton Hewitt sort of has oscillated in that area of coach and trainer and Davis Cup captain and maybe sort of player because there is this sort of black and white of retired and active player, but he is just pushing all that aside and being like, whatever, I'm going to do my own thing.
0: Love Gentlemen, that. it's been an absolute pleasure. I think, well, we've got to give the listeners a break from listening to us. Now, we're going we're gonna to keep debating. We're going to keep deciding. We'll probably sit here on this balcony and listen to the music and the coffee and the trains for a, for a while longer but be sure to listen to the ATP Tennis Radio channel where courtesy of AO Radio you can hear live ball by ball commentary and you'll hear Nick and you'll hear Simon coming to you from the Australian Open on the ATP website and platforms and ATP Tennis Radio will also be bringing you daily news updates from the event Uh, they'll be available on your smart speaker so if you have an Amazon Echo or Google Home speaker you'll be able to find us there absolute pleasure I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and we'll speak to you again soon